Good morning. Can you hear me? All right. That's great. Thank you. Um, let me just pray. Thank you, Lord, that you want to t- say something to us through your word today. So we pray that you would anoint our ears to hear you clearly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As Joan DeVries mentioned for us today, we have been on a journey together, journeying through Psalms of Ascending, Psalms 120 to 134. Each of these psalms has this title, Songs of Ascending or Ascents. It's actually in plural in the Hebrew. And it actually means to go up. Anyone who's been to Israel will know that if you go to Israel, to get to Jerusalem, you have to go up, literally, because it's, um, Jerusalem's built on several mountains. And so it's a physical movement of up as you go up to the Jerusalem and to the temple. But the pilgrims also recited these psalms, um, both on the journey there, this is what is believed, that they were reciting them as they were going to Jerusalem for the festivals, but also when they arrived at the temple, that they would recite them on the steps, each step going up to the temple as well. So as Joan mentioned, we've chosen this theme this year because we are all on a journey. We're moving from this campus to our new campus. We've been through an academic journey through this year. Uh, Each of us have had our own personal spiritual journey along the way. Um, I have had a journey of healing. Uh, I ruptured my Achilles tendon almost a year ago, and I've been in that journey of healing. So journey or or pilgrimage is is a metaphor for life, that we are walking on a pilgrimage. To go on pilgrimage biblically is to intentionally journey towards God. John Kessler has recently published his textbook, and he talks about this pilgrimage, the desire to journey towards God into his presence, which involves effort, cost to get there. It's the demands of a physical journey in pursuit of spiritual ends. I'm quoting Dr. Kessler. The demands of physical journey in pursuits of spiritual ends. By the way, for those who'd like to go on a pilgrimage this summer, there are two opportunities as summer courses. (laughs) Dr. Arthur Bors is taking a group to Spain to walk the Camino, and also Dr. Sherbineau is taking a group to do Celtic spirituality in Ireland. So you have opportunities for pilgrimage here as well. But we are joining the pilgrims of uh, Israel as we're going to look at the final two Psalms of Ascents. Joan began the series on Psalm 120, where the, the pilgrims are actually far away from Zion, in a place of unrest. And now they're journeying to Jerusalem and have finally arrived in the temple. So I'd like us to consider um, Psalm 133 and 134 as the concluding psalms of the sense. There are some key words and key phrases that occur in these psalms. And I'd like to highlight those words. Community, anointing oil, refreshing dew, Worship and blessing. These key words and concepts emphasize the following themes. The beauty and blessing of community, living in unity and harmony. Such a community experiences divine anointing and refreshing. Such a community is called to worship in the sanctuary, in the place of blessing. And such a community is called to bless the Lord and to receive the blessing of the Lord. Let's look in more detail on each psalm. Psalm 133 begins, How good, how pleasant 
It is for brothers and sisters to live together, to live together in unity. This psalm has a special meaning to me. I was a student in Israel for a year, studying at the Hebrew University a long time ago, and one of the first Hebrew songs I learned was based on Psalm 133, verse 1. So guess what is the first Hebrew song I teach my Hebrew students? shevet achim gam yachad. shevet achim gam yachad. shevet achim that means, behold how good and pleasant it is for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity. And it's interesting, every Israeli knows this song, whether you're secular Israeli or whether you're religious. Everybody knows it. It's interesting in a country which is quite divided and needs a lot of unity and God's help for unity. But because of that, I reflected a lot about this meaning. Notice the, man, the emphasis. It's a beautiful picture of brothers and sisters, family members, clans, tribes, the whole people of God getting along. So the psalmist is celebrating the joy of community living in peace, in harmony, in unity. And the reason why it's celebrated, because as you all know, as we all know, in reality it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to live in unity, and we shouldn't take it for granted. Eugene Peterson, who writes in his book, uh, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, writes the following, that when we become believers, we become part of the community faith, the church. We automatically become part of the family. We can't avoid it. There's no option. And he says the following, no Christian is an only child. No Christian is an only child. That's actually a wonderful thing, um, to not be an only child, to have siblings. But as you also know, it's hard. <laughs> Anyone who has a family knows that. There's conflict between parents and children and between siblings. And that means there's a continual need for reconciliation and forgiveness. But we are called to be part of such a family, even though it's hard to get along. And that's why it's celebrated as a beautiful thing, something good and pleasant, something precious. But not only is it a beautiful thing that is cherished and, and celebrated, but the psalmist describes its effect by using, the, to describe its impact by using two pictures. The first one, using actually two similes, describing this unity of living together. The first one is like oil, the second like dew. But not just any oil or any dew. The first one is the comparison to anointing oil, which was used to consecrate the priests, the high priest of Aaron and those that would follow him, as described in Exodus 29 and Leviticus 8. But it's not just any oil, it's perfumed with spices. So it's fragrant, fragrant oil. So we have a picture of fragrant oil, consecrated oil. But also we have a picture of the experience that the, that the priest is experiencing. We have this picture of oil being poured upon the priest. And he's wearing a turban, by the way, uh, that says, holy to the Lord. And then the oil is being poured down, down, down the beard and down his clothes. And this picture of running down actually emphasizes abundance. Lots of oil, not just a little trickle, lots of it that's overflowing, saturating, spilling over everything. And what's interesting in the Hebrew, there are actually three um, 
um, one Hebrew verb using, uh, repeated three times with this downward movement, going down, descending, twice for the oil and once for the dew, that it's going down as a downward motion. In other words, it's a, has a, the origin is divine. God above is pouring out his blessing, his anointing, his oil. Um, and so, although the, we have this picture of the priest being anointed, we also know that Israel was called to be a kingdom of priests. They were to be a holy nation, as described in Exodus 19, as mediators to the world. In 1 Peter 2.9, Peter uses the same text from, first, from Exodus 19 to describe the church, saying the church is also a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So as Christians, we are called to be priests, set apart as holy people of God, anointed by the Spirit of God. Eugene Peterson writes, when we see the other as anointed, as God's anointed, our relationships are profoundly affected. Let me say that again. Eugene Peterson says, when we see the other as God's anointed, our relationships are profoundly affected. How do you and I view one another? Do you see one another as priests or as God's anointed? I pray that God would open our eyes to see each other in that way, in a new light, if you haven't thought about that picture, that we are all anointed, that the Spirit of God is being poured upon God's people. As perfume, Paul uses the language of perfume when he says that we are the aroma of Christ, the fragrance of Christ to one another and to the world in 2 Corinthians 2.15. Now the second comparison is with the, the second comparison of living together in unity is compared to dew. Dew on Mount Hermon. It's like dew of Mount Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. Mount Hermon is the highest mountain peak in the eastern Mediterranean, located in the north, just north, the border, right at the borders of Israel and Syria and that part of the world. In comparison, the mountains of Zion are actually in the south, quite far away from Mount Hermon, and they are also lower in elevation. Mount Hermon is always covered with snow, so there's peaks of snow, which then is providing water and fresh mountain springs and streams that water the land before, below but why emphasize dew and the dew of Hermon? Dew may, not be, dew may not seem much in comparison to rain or spring mountain springs that are you know, pouring down the mountain. Yet dew provides very important moisture to moisture the land, especially in the dry season when there is no rain. It plays a very important role in maturing the crops in the summer, in the dry season. And because of that, dew appears, as you know, in the morning. It becomes associated with newness and refreshment. It becomes a metaphor for life, renewed hope, growth, nourishment, and refreshment in God. In fact, the Lord God is likened to dew in the book of Hosea, Hosea 14.5. I am like dew to Israel. And as a result, Israel blossoms, takes root, flourishes as they turn to God. Perhaps some of you are actually experiencing a dry summer in your season of life, and maybe you need refreshment. God will be due to you. He will be refreshment to you. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls in the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life evermore. 
I already mentioned the verb to go down, descending is repeated three times, and here it's used again for dew descending on the mountains of Zion. Now, if you've been to that country, Israel, you will realize that geographically this is not possible. Mount Hermon is very far away in the north, and Zion is in the south, more, more for the south, central south. Um, but, so there you have a picture of a miraculous picture, a miraculous picture emphasizing that it's divine origin of refreshment. It is the Lord pouring out his oil of anointing, and it's the Lord who's pouring out the dew of refreshment on Aaron, on Zion, and on God's people. It is God who has commanded his blessing there, life evermore. It's actually not clear whether there refers to Jerusalem or Zion, or whether it refers to the blessing of God's people living together in unity. You know, it could actually have a double meaning. It can both could be intended, attended in this passage. Uh, first of all, God has blessed the place of Jerusalem. He has chosen Zion to be the place where he was enthroned in the temple. And so there's blessing for God's people to gather in worship in the temple. But also there's blessing when God's people are united in harmony and unity. And ultimately, only God can make that true and a lasting unity among God's people. So why compare the picture of unity and living together in community to anointing oil and dew? Unity in the body of Christ opens us up to God's anointing and God's refreshing. It is refreshing to get along as a family where there's no tension, no strife, no competition between siblings. But ultimately, only God can bring that true lasting unity among people. It's a divine work. Because of our many sins and weaknesses, we desperately need God to help us. That's why Jesus' prayer in this high priestly prayer in John's Gospel, chapter 17, verse 20 onwards, he prays for the church. This prayer is so important and profound because of this very need for God's help. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus' prayer for unity, oneness for the believers, ties their oneness to their witness, that the world may know and believe. Our love for one another is a witness to the world. It attracts people to Christ when the community of faith loves one another. Perhaps we are in a relationship full of conflict and strife right now, but God can help us to bring unity, wholeness. There is hope because ultimately unity comes from God, and that will ultimately affect our witness for him. It is a gift from God to the community of faith, and that's why it's celebrated in this psalm. So Psalm 133 concludes with blessing. God has commanded his blessing there. Psalm 134 begins with blessing. In fact, this whole psalm emphasizes blessing. Verses 1 and 2 contains three plural imperatives. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord and lift up your hands. Those are all three imperative forms. They are commands addressed to the people of God, but notice the people of God are described as servants, the servants of the Lord. And in the third verse, the Hebrew pronoun actually switches to singular, to the individual, 
And we'll talk about that in just a second. The servants of the Lord could refer to the people as a whole, but it also, and perhaps more likely, refers to the Levites serving in the temple of the Lord. The Levites were servants who worshipped God day and night in the sanctuary. The Hebrew uses the, actually the word in plural, nights, not just uh, night, but night watches. And we know from 1 Chronicles 9 that the Levitical singers did have duty during the day as well as during the night. But we also know from Isaiah chapter 30, verse 29, that the holy festivals were celebrated even into the night. And so that could imply to the pilgrims that also come to Jerusalem to celebrate that the feast kept going into the evening. As they bless the Lord, they are commanded to praise the Lord by raising their hands in prayer, a gesture of appeal in prayer as well as worship. Patrick Miller has written a book on prayer, and he writes the following about the gesture of rising, raising one's hands in prayer, conveying the following, quote, a sense of the transcendent, that prayer is directed beyond oneself and this world to the God who is in heaven, end of quote. A sense of transcendence, directing our prayers to God who is in heaven. As ultimately, it's an expression of dependence on God. As we appeal to God for help, we also express our dependence on God. Now, I sometimes suffer from insomnia, and I assume some people can relate. But this psalm talks about worshiping God at night. Often, when I have insomnia, I'm thinking about all the troubles of the world, particularly my own troubles. And concerns. But I was thinking of this psalm saying, you know, maybe I should just get up, get up, stand, raise my hands, and bless the Lord and praise the Lord. After a while, I get really tired that I want to go back to bed. Because, <laughs> you know, Moses' arms got tired and needed his friends to help him. But, but the th- picture is that no matter whether it's day or night, to praise the Lord, to bless the Lord. And that's the call of God's people. The psalm concludes with the words, May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Now scholars have suggested that that final line, May the Lord bless you, is actually the first line of the Aaronic priestly blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24 to 26, which goes like this, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you peace. The reason why scholars think that this is the beginning of the ironic blessing is because the Hebrew switches to the singular pronoun you, which is something we can't see in English. But in Hebrew, you can see it. And that's how the ironic blessing is written. Whereas the rest of the psalm has all been plural. So as God's people bless God in gratitude and thanksgiving, then at the end, the priest gives them a blessing. God's blessing, sending them forth from Zion. And this blessing is like a commissioning, leaving Zion and going back into the world with God's blessing. But notice who is blessing them. Who blesses God's people? It is Yahweh, the Lord, the God, the creator of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth, who is all-powerful, who can do all things, since he created the world. That same God 
chooses to bless his people and to call them to himself and then send them forth from Zion into the world with his blessing. As a result, the people can leave with confidence, assurance, not being afraid, knowing that this all-powerful God is with them. We see this picture of movement towards Zion and coming out of Zion. And that picture towards Zion and leaving Zion reminds me of a few other scriptures. Isaiah chapter 2 or Micah 4 describes a people streaming to Zion, to the mountain of the Lord, in order to learn the ways of Yahweh. But then it says, the law will go forth from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Then there's an outward motion, the law of the Lord, the word of God, then spreads from Zion into the world. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus' departing words to the disciples was that the Spirit of God would come upon them. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Again, the movement away from Jerusalem and to the ends of the earth. The Spirit of God was poured out at Pentecost when Jews had gathered for the festival of Pentecost. And as Christians received the Spirit, they were sent forth from Jerusalem to spread the word of the Lord, the good news of the gospel around the world. So today we're going to commission the students who are going to many places around the world to share that good news and to share God's blessing. I pray that you would go with God's blessing and God's anointing and to be a blessing. And as a team, may you experience that unity that only God can give. It's a divine gift. And so pray that God will help you to be united. And may you experience the fresh anointing and refreshment of the Spirit. So in conclusion, God has called all of us to live in unity. And in that unity, we can experience God's blessing, favor, and presence. Let's not take that for granted. Rather, let us foster it and celebrate it. God has also called us on pilgrimage, a journey towards God and his dwelling. May we experience his anointing and his refreshment along the way. May we all go forth from this place of worship, having blessed God and received his blessing. And may we serve him with joy wherever he leads us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for helping us journey through the Psalms this year. We do pray that you would send us forth with your anointing and your refreshment. In your powerful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.